You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationgta.org. All right, good morning, everyone, and welcome. Uh, for those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Richard, and it's great that you're joining us at our live stream. It's my Every Nation church family. It's great to be with you in your living rooms or wherever you might be catching this uh, service. And uh, we're going to be continuing in our Abide series, um, following on from our week of prayer and fasting, which feels like a bit of a distant memory now. Hopefully, you turn fasting into feasting, enjoying the good gift that food is. Um, and so we're going to be continuing in this beautiful theme called Abide. In fact, it's kind of going to be a theme for our Every Nation Worldwide family for the entire year. Um, and I love it. I love the theme of just abiding. And so we're going to dive right in today on looking at how Jesus, um, as we abide in Jesus, we experience liberation, the freedom that Jesus promises. But before we get there in today's scripture, uh, the um, how I want to set this up is uh, beginning of last year, I read a, a really good book, a uh, true book, a uh, true story, like a based on true story. Um, called Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson. And then it was turned in, it's been turned into a movie. Uh, it stars Jamie Foxx and Michael B. Jordan, not the basketball player, the actor. And uh, I forced my family, uh, you're welcome family, I forced them to watch it with me beginning of this year. And uh, it's a really powerful film, moving film. And it's all about how Brian Stevenson is a really promising lawyer, graduates Harvard, but instead of going into a high paying job and that, he has a a heart to really uh, bring about justice in the um, the American system of, of uh, incarceration, particularly that skewed towards African-American people who are wrongly incarcerated, wrongly prosecuted, and a lot of times we're sitting on death row to the death sentence. And so it follows the story of uh, one, one of his first cases of Walter McMillan, who was incorrectly charged for the murder of a, a girl. Goal, despite the overwhelming evidence that he wasn't the perpetrator. And um, spoiler alert, after many, many years of fighting for Walter McMillan and, and dozens of other people, he actually gets him released to get him um, out of jail, out of death, off death row, out of jail, and to experience freedom. Now, uh, it's a powerful movie, a powerful story. We encourage you to, to watch that um, or uh, read it, and uh, you can find out more about his Equal Justice Initiative. But to kind of frame it today, I think the majority of us, overwhelming majority of us watching this or hearing this will never know what it's like to be on the inside of a jail and then to experience freedom, being released from that. Um, but the tangible feeling of what it must be like to be able to walk free and to experience things that maybe you and I just take for granted day in and day out, just walking on the street or going to a store or things that we just take for granted. And so we're going to come into a conversation that Jesus is having, and he's talking about liberation. But he's talking to you and me, not because we're sitting inside a jail, but he says there's a greater danger in some ways that those of us who do walk free, we're not incarcerated, we're not in prison, that we think we're free, but in fact we have a bondage that we're perhaps unaware of, that there's a freedom in Jesus that he offers us that we're totally oblivious to until we encounter him. And so that's where we're going to join in this conversation. And like any conversation, you, if you just parachute into that conversation, you can do a, a disservice to all that's gone before and all that's going to go after. So I'm going to try as much as possible to fill in those blanks to understand exactly what uh, Jesus is saying here. But if you can join with me in your Bibles to John chapter 8, and uh, we're going to read from verses 31 to 36. But before we read that passage, uh, here's the beginning of the conversation. Jesus says this in John chapter 8, verse 12. He says, Jesus spoke to them, to the Jewish people that's around him, saying, I am the light of the world. 
Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so he begins to get into a conversation, a heated conversation with the people around him because they recognize what Jesus is doing. He's basically claiming to be equal with God, which in their day, as it is in our day, blasphemy, right? It's like that's a serious claim. And he begins to interact with them uh, around this topic. And then it comes to this uh, quite a famous portion of scripture in John chapter 8. Verse 31, so Jesus said to the Jews had, who had believed in him, some of them are beginning to believe who Jesus says he is. And he says this to them, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now, there's a lot going on in that little passage there, that, that conversation, which is part of a bigger conversation. I encourage you to read it in your own time. Um, but a lot of that is also to deal with a very Jewish mindset. They're saying, hey, we're not slaves. We're sons of Abraham. In other words, we're in. We're in with God. Why? Because of who our grand, great, 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 great granddaddy is, Abraham. And Jesus is saying, don't be so secure in that. You're nothing like your Abraham. If you were sons of Abraham, you would be very different. In fact, he'll go on in this conversation and say, you're actually more like a different father. Your father, the devil. So, you know, meek and mild Jesus, basically, you're offspring of the devil because your character is you're, you, you're not, you don't display anything. And so it's unsettling for them because it's not just a guarantee. It, it, you know, being, being in with God is not a matter of ancestry. And as we come to know, it's a matter of placing our faith and trust in, in Jesus, the light of the world. And so Jesus in this conversation has some bold claims that he's the light of the world, that he is the light of life. And that he's our liberator. So light, life, and liberator. These are some grand and bold claims. And not just light. He's light of the world. So in other words, it doesn't matter what culture, uh, economic background, socioeconomic background you have. doesn't matter what language you speak. doesn't matter what pigmentation is on your skin. The light of the world is all-encompassing. The scope of Jesus' claim is all-encompassing. And so as you and I know, light reveals and illuminates certain things, um, you know, when uh, if you've watched a scary movie, one of the instincts you want to do is turn on the lights quickly just to make sure there's nothing going on in your home or wherever you're watching that. That's just instinctive of us, right? The, the, the light exposes and reveals. But sometimes we don't like to be exposed or revealed, right? Sometimes the light is hard. Sometimes first thing in the morning, if you you know, the someone's turned the light on and it's still dark and it's it's kind of like it feels um, intrusive. But the light really reveals and illuminates truth. It illuminates the truth ultimately about who God is. Uh, this is what Jesus is saying. He's the light of the world. We get the fullest picture of what God's like as we look at Jesus. But not just that. It's also about the light and truth of who we are. Um, and that's a hard hard thing to swallow sometimes, right? Um, sometimes it's easier to point out truth than everyone else, but it's it's hard when you hear truth about yourself. And then he's also talking about the light and the truth of reality. Um, how to make sense of reality. And so then Jesus has this famous saying, the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. Um, there's a funny, funny phrase that goes, the truth will set you free, but first it'll offend you. Okay, that's the 
the PG version of that. And that's, I think, quite true as well. Like the truth can be very uh, confronting, can be very harsh. If you've ever had a coach, had a teacher, maybe a parent, maybe someone who who has your best interest at heart, from the harsh way, but tells you something that's true that you maybe didn't want to hear, but as you began to think about it and I began to embrace it, it actually was true. You actually began to align yourself with that truth. And in some ways it was liberating. You know, I remember coaches growing up and there's a sport that I played in South Africa called rugby, similar to American football, but but not quite. But there's a certain position in rugby that I really wanted to play. It's called center. To be a center, you have to be really fast and you have to be really big and strong. And I was fast, but I wasn't big and strong. I was always quite short and I really wanted to play that position. And I had coaches basically saying, no, this is the position for you. So there was another position which was like kind of one of the smallest positions on the team, but still a crucial role. And it took me a while to... uh, embrace that truth that I was never going to be this. But when I did that, it actually liberated me to be something else, to be more fully in line with reality of my nature, that I was a certain size and a certain build. And I wonder if that's um, oftentimes in life when we, we try to push back on truth that actually is there to help us. It's there to set us free. It's there to liberate us. And so Jesus, the truth will set you free, but, but, but first I'm going to offend you with the truth. In other words, I'm the light of the world and the light of life, and I'm the liberator. Assuming you're in darkness, um, there is death all around, and you need to be set free. It's like, what do you mean I need to be set free? I'm, I'm, we're feeling kind of free. Okay, now, obviously, in the context of restrictions, we're not feeling very free. Like, Jesus, please do set us free from these restrictions. Could we go watch a movie, perhaps? I mean, that's freedom in 21st century Toronto, at least. So Jesus both challenges and fulfills our modern desire for truth and freedom. These truth and freedom some very big and weighty things in our time and our culture, especially here in the West. And so let's dive into that. The truth will set you free. Now, you might not have grown up uh, in a religious home. You might not come to church. You might be watching this. You might not even be a Christian. But I'm Guessing you might have heard this phrase, the truth will set you free. It's been used and quoted from presidents to prime ministers. Uh, it's been in movies. Uh, it's uh, used by parents who want to coerce a confession out of their kids at times. It's been used, um, in fact, if you go to the original headquarters of the CIA, this this verse will be on their their wall as you walk in. I wonder why. The truth will set you free. Um, and so... What truth then? You know, we, we, we like to use this phrase, the truth will say, what, what truth? And, and in this day and age, it, that's a, an interesting question. My truth, your truth, we've heard those things. And what happens if my truth contradicts your truth? So whose truth then do we believe? Whose is the truth? And so there's a real challenge to having some objective standard of truth whereby it doesn't matter what you and I think, we can compare it to that. That's being eroded, almost eroded in our time, and we've become so relative, like, well, it's true for you, but it's not true for me. What even does that mean, and does that even work in reality? And so Jesus is um, talking about something quite specific. And so if you look at the context of the conversation he's having with his people. When he says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, it's not just some random truth. It's not just some, here are facts. It's the truth ultimately about who he is, his claim to be equal to God, his claim to be the light and the life of the world, and his claim to be our liberator. He says, if you know and come to accept that truth, that truth indeed will lead you to a freedom that you don't maybe even realize that you need. And so, the other thing about truth is it's not some um, rational, cold, objective 
things. It says you will know the truth. In other words, there's a personal experiential aspect of knowing this truth that Jesus wants us to have, to know this truth. Um, it's a kind of knowing, like if if you had to say, I, I know this person. In other words, I know them well enough. I've experienced them. I know this person. It's what the psalmist in Psalm 139 verse 1 talks about, how, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. It's not a cognitive knowing, although that's an aspect of knowing, but it's a personal experiential knowing. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. It's that aspect of knowing. And he says, you will know that truth, and but you need to know it before it can set you free. Truth precedes freedom. And I wonder if that's a key to why we don't experience levels of freedom in our lives. It's because to know that truth uh, implies relationship with the truth. Um, Jesus goes on to say, then if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. Not the principles of truth will set you free. Although principles can be good, not a pattern. Philosophy will set you free. The Son, a, a person, You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But you've also got to embrace that truth in order for it to lead to the kind of freedom that Jesus is talking about here. And so we see that the truth is embodied in a person. The truth, at least Jesus is talking about, is embodied in him. And as we come to know that, as we come to accept that, as we come to trust that, then that truth begins to do its work in us. So let's look at freedom now. What freedom? Is Jesus' idea of freedom our modern idea of freedom? It's a good question because freedom is a big uh, goal and ideal of our society today. Freedom. And, um, you know, it's kind of funny, like, freedom today it's almost like there's nothing new under the sun sometimes <laughs> like it's just repackaged and so this is a quote of what is freedom it's from um even just before jesus time the roman statesman and philosopher cicero says this what then is freedom the power to live as one wishes i mean he could be speaking in the 21st century what then is freedom the power to live as one wishes and so i think we do have an understanding today culturally that freedom is that it's it's free to be fully you it's free from constraints it's free from authority it's free from all these things that would hinder you and I to be fully what we uh, to live as one wishes another way of saying freedom today is you should be free to choose um, to live as you to live, should be free to live as you choose and then we add this caveat as long as you don't hurt anyone as long as you don't harm anyone which is also interesting because well if we don't have a definition of objective truth well what's to say what your harm is and my harm the way that i choose to live out my freedom could be incredibly harmful to you so who's to say that uh, how do we even have a definition of harm or what is harmful uh, as we pursue freedom if we have no objective truth? And so we see these ideas of truth and freedom, they can sound really well, they can sound liberating to our modern 21st centuries, but they really are, one, an illusion, and two, they don't fit reality. They really just don't fit reality. So philosophers have talked about this idea of freedom, and they're talking about a negative freedom. It's a freedom from. It's a freedom from any and every constraint, authority, uh, constraints, that kind of thing. It's a freedom of self-determination. I determine what is my own good. And that really actually becomes another chain of bondage. It becomes another chain in disguise. So freedom isn't the uh, 
abandonment of all these constraints. It isn't being free from these constraints, but it's having the right constraints and living within those that fit reality and our own nature. And one of the classic examples of this, a very basic example, but I think we can build upon it, is you think about a fish, and you think, well, that fish, that fish should be able to choose how it wants to live. So let's take it out of water. It should be free from water. And so that's free from a constraint of being in water, but that taking that fish out of that water will kill it. It will die. That constraint of the water is actually what allows it to thrive and to live and to flourish. So freedom is the is the right constraints. You think about an airplane. If it chooses to break free from the laws of aerodynamics, which cause it to ascend and soar, that's crazy. It's going to crash. There are certain laws. There are certain constraints to our freedom that actually increase our freedom not hinder our freedom. And lastly, you think about a relationship. You think about it like a marriage. If we go into a marriage and both individuals have this mindset of being free from all and any constraint, that's going to be a disastrous marriage. Marriage is full of happy um, constraints, of yielding ground in a fair way to one another, of not of having some self-restraint in areas in order for that relationship to to thrive. And so we don't want to talk about a negative freedom that's not what Jesus has in mind of being free from anything and everything, but we want to have what's called a positive freedom. It's a freedom for something, a freedom for a greater good, a freedom for a pursuit of something greater. Um, I love what the Christian philosopher James Smith says about this in this regard. He talks about if freedom is going to be more than mere freedom from, if freedom is the power of freedom for, then I have to trade autonomy for a different kind of dependence. Coming to the end of myself is the realization that I'm dependent on someone other than myself if I'm going to be truly free. And so thinking about that, it actually makes sense, but it doesn't feel good because it feels like we're being constrained. We've been told to give up our autonomy, our independence, our self-determination, and to kind of come under another person. But this is closer to what Jesus has in mind of freedom. In fact, it takes a free person to help you get out of your, your bondage. Right, It takes one who is free from the things that hold us in bondage uh, to help enable us to be free. That's why Jesus says, if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed, because he is the one who's truly free in this regard. And so, in essence, what Jesus is saying is our ultimate bondage is rebellion against and choosing independence from the God who loves us and created us. We fight against our nature. We want to be independent of the constraint of being the created and having a creator. We want to be independent of having a responsibility towards that creator. We feel, and part of the lie and the bondage that we're brought into is that coming under any kind of submission to our creator is going to hinder us, is going to suffocate us, is going to inhibit us, when actually the opposite is true. We're already inhibited, suffocated, Bible says we're actually in death, spiritual bondage and death, until we come back into our life-giving relationship with our Creator, which we were created for, and that comes through Jesus. And that's part of where the truth needs to begin to work in us. You know, a lot of people, when they look at Christianity from the outside in, they, they see that. They see a lot of do's and don'ts. 
a restraint on your lifestyle, a restraint on your passions, a restraint on your desires, but not realizing that the true bondage is having no restraint on your passions, no restraint on your desires, no restraints on you as a person. That's that's a disastrous lifestyle. That's a disastrous life. And so, Once we've realized that we need someone, not you, not me, we actually begin to look at constraints differently. If we recognize that we're helpless in our situation and need that help, we actually begin to look at constraints in a more positive light. We actually begin to align and say, actually, in reality, constraints actually do work. Um, There's an illusion that we can live free of the constraints. The the key is the right constraints. It's It's the right constraints that we need to have on our lives. And following the right leader can bring also the great, all sorts of greater freedoms. Uh, again, use real life. If you're an aspiring musician or an athlete or an entrepreneur, I'm guessing one of the things that could really help you get to the next level is a coach, a mentor, a tutor, a teacher, someone who's a little bit further down the path of whatever it is you're trying to pursue who can begin to tell you how to get better and go to the next level in a way that you just couldn't do yourself. This happens all the time in in, in sports, as musicians, in business. And so if we know that intuitively, and people will spend hundreds and thousands of dollars towards a coach to help them that, if we know that works in reality, that those constraints, that I'm going to constrain myself to listening to somebody else, I'm going to have a constraint of not just doing what I want to do. I I don't care, you know, you're sick. I, I'm just going to live and chart my own path. If if we're going to uh, give up certain freedoms for a greater freedom, we look at that and say, yeah, that's how often reality works. And so if that's with a coach, if that's with a trainer, a tutor, a leader, in a, a coach, an athlete, how much more then the the the, the the one who's created our soul, how much more than Jesus and how much more than coming to the end of ourselves is the way out of a disordered freedom. And so Jesus in this passage, he's highlighted truth, he's highlighted freedom. And now he's going to highlight here is the constraint in order to embrace fully the truth and fully the freedom. It's not a free for all. Know the truth. The truth is set you free. You're free to do whatever you want. Here it is. It's the invitation to apprentice Jesus. If you want to know this truth, if you want to experience the freedom that Jesus has, then it comes through the invitation to apprentice Jesus. Verse 12 again, whoever follows me, whoever follows me will have the light of life. Sounds like an invitation to me. Whoever follows me will have the light of life. Follows me. That's an invitation to become a disciple, but maybe in our modern vernacular, an apprentice, apprenticeship is a better way of understanding that because we still have apprenticeships, especially if a trade, if you want to become an electrician, a plumber, uh, if you go to med school, there's an aspect of apprenticeship. And what's the idea of an apprenticeship? That one you're going to be with, become like, and then begin to do the stuff that your teacher or the one who's apprenticing does okay you're going to be with that plumber for a certain time you're going to look at what they do and you're going to try to emulate what they do in med school it's the same thing so again we see this moment jesus in the same time this is what you did if you want to become like your teacher your rabbi is you hang out with them a lot you hang out with them with uh, be with them you become like them that's your goal your desire is to become like them and then actually to do the stuff that they do and so this is what jesus has in mind it says whoever follows 
me. We'll have the light of life. Or the light that leads to life. Another translation will say it's the light that leads to life. And so freedom isn't just about the power to choose, but it's the power to choose well. C.S. Lewis uh, drives this home for us. He says this, every time you make a choice, you're turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different than it was before. And taking your life as a whole with all your innumerable choices, all your life long, you're slowly turning the central thing into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature, either into a creature that is in harmony with God, with other creatures, and with itself, or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself. So it sounds like, that sounds like constraints, right? You're, you're free to choose, but if you choose well, it's going to lead you into a heavenly creature. And if you choose poorly, it's going to lead you into a hellish creature, fighting against your nature, fighting against the God that loves you, fighting the God that wants what's best for you, fighting against your fellow human beings, fighting against how reality works. And so we find that freedom isn't just about a moment, but it's about a, a journey of freedom, that we can go into greater depths of freedom as we choose well, as we have the power and freedom to choose well, to choose in a way in which orientates us to um, the reality and the truth of who Jesus is and how the world works and how he sees us. And so when you and I choose to follow Jesus in day-to-day -day decisions, we choose to consult him and, and, and figure out what would Jesus want me to do with, with X, Y, and Z, this decision, how I spend my money, how I spend my time, how I engage in relationships. We're choosing uh, to be shaped by what's true, what's good, and ultimately what's beautiful. And then Jesus goes on to say, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If... You abide in my word. Again, another invitation. If you abide, if you abide in my word. And no, and we've talked about what this word abide means. It means to remain or stay in a place for a duration, for a long period of time. But it's also an experiential word. If you, if you abide in a place for a long time, you have a very good sense of that world in which you abide. For 30 years, I lived, I abided in Cape Town. Um, I have a very good sense and feel for what it's like to live in Cape Town. And uh, it, it becomes my frame of reference. When we moved here, it was hard not to compare here to there. It's one of the challenges for a lot of people that have immigrated to Canada or Toronto, is we have a sense of what life was like back home, for good or bad. And then we begin to experience life here for good or bad, and it's hard not to compare. And part of sometimes the people who never quite get over the homesickness is they only begin to remember what was good back home and what they no longer have, and they don't give themselves an opportunity to sink roots here and to learn some new things here. Not that Canada's perfect, but it's interesting how our minds work as we begin to, like, oh, it was, life was so much better there, was it? was it? Was it that much better there? And so, in a sense, what Jesus is saying is, when you abide in me, in my world, I become the frame of reference. Home is me. It's not to discount a geographical home and a sense of consistency in a place, but a frame of reference doesn't become a geographical place. It becomes a place of abiding in Jesus, of relationship with Jesus. It becomes the frame of reference with which we look at life. That becomes a frame of reference. It's an invitation to experience life with God, 
not for God, but with God. And then Jesus says, if you're doing this, you're truly my disciples. You're truly my apprentices. You're truly my disciples. And so why would he say this? You know, when we started off uh, the scripture, it said, verse 31, talked about how the Jews that believed in him. And Jesus began to speak to those Jews that believed in him, which is amazing. You think this is really good. Believing in Jesus is a good thing. Believing in Jesus is a good thing, but it's, it's only a good thing if it leads to other things. Because by the end of that conversation, if you go all the way to verse uh, 59, those same Jews that believed in Jesus are ready to kill him. So, so when we talk about belief in Jesus, it, it really is incumbent upon us. What do we mean by belief in Jesus? Because there is a belief in Jesus that we can agree with who he is and what he says. We can even agree with what he's telling us that doesn't lead to an experiential transformation and trust of our hearts in Jesus. And that's a big danger zone for us. The kind of belief that Jesus wants is a full-on trust in him. It's a trust in his words, and it's a trust in who he is, an acceptance of who he is and his teachings so that it changes us and changes the way that we orientate our lifestyle around him. You know, um, one of Jesus' brothers talked about this in his book, James. He talks about even the demons believe. It's like, yeah, you believe in Jesus, great. Even the demons believe and shudder. And so there's a belief beyond just cognitively believing in Jesus that Jesus wants us to enter to. You will know the truth. You'll have a personal experiential relationship with Jesus, with the truth. And it's that type of personal experiential relationship that really does lead to a freedom and a path of freedom. And so I want to close here today um, with this, whatever you and I abide in, we will eventually abound in. Uh, in I think it might be a, a passage of scripture we'll look at later in the series, but John chapter 15 talks about how if we abide in the vine, if we abide in relationship with Jesus, we'll bear much fruit. And there is a principle at work here. Whatever you abide in, whatever you stay in long enough, you'll begin to overflow and abound in, for good or bad. If you abide in fear, if you abide in uncertainty, you're going to abide, abound in a life of fear and panic and uncertainty. I think some of us have experienced that last couple of years, right? It's just been a bombardment of fear and uncertainty and panic. And are we ever going to get back to normal? And those feelings, those feelings are, are there. Like we acknowledge those feelings, but if we're going to abide and live in that, especially if it follows a Jesus, we're going to begin to abound in that. And that's abounding in fruit that Jesus doesn't want for our lives. And so the choice is that we can abide in him. The light of the world, the light of life, the liberator of our souls. And as we abide in that, it might not be an instant thing. It may be, but it might not be an instant thing. But as we choose to abide daily, as we make those choices that C.S. Lewis, choosing well to abide in him and his word, allowing his word to frame our world more than a 24-7 news cycle, more than what social media is telling us. If we allow him and his word abide in that, then we're going to abound in the fruit of that, we're going to abound in good fruit of faith, of hope, of love, of belief, not a denial of reality, being able to walk into places of brokenness and injustice and actually bring about the kingdom of God, like a Brian Stevenson does with inmates on death row. We're going to be able to be used as vessels of extending his kingdom of righteousness, joy, and peace, not fear and panic and hopelessness. And so whatever you and I choose to abide in will eventually abound in. My prayer for you today is that you take the words of Jesus seriously, that you would know this truth, know this Jesus. And as you know this Jesus, that that, that truth would set you free, that truth would, would liberate you. And that as you abide in Him, you would abound in truth and freedom. Amen. 
You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit our website at everynationgta.org.